Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is July the 8th, 2022, and I'm so glad you're joining me. Happy to join you. Hope you've all had a good week. Hope you enjoyed your Independence Day celebration last week. I took the day off to take care of some family business that needed tending to. Everything fine at this end, uh, but, you know, with the holidays and everything else happening, um, I have my priorities straight, and we should always make our families our number one priority. Um, there's so much to discuss today, and I don't have any articles of the past week, this having been a holiday week for me and uh, other things that have been going on. But in looking at the news and in looking at the terrible mass shooting that we saw in Illinois, followed by a very disturbing report about a narrowly averted mass shooting event in Virginia. Pardon me. I thought that this evening we should take a hard look at what is being peddled by the politicians, particularly on the radical left, about public safety, gun violence, and the solution to all of the above. The idea that we're going to be safe by simply outlawing guns does not work. It's it's a foolish concept. Now, that's not to say that I don't want guns taken from people who pose a threat. Uh, I seized many firearms as a federal agent. I spent half my career, as you probably know, working with the Drug Task Force. I've arrested terrorists. So I took quite a bit of hardware off the street, and it's something we were very happy about. It's important to make certain that guns don't fall into the hands of criminals or psychopaths or terrorists. I think that's pretty obvious to everybody. But if you're not going to punish people who wield guns illegally or dangerously, then you're not going to make the streets safer for anybody. That's really the bottom line. You can't simply pass a law that says we're going to get rid of guns and they're going to vanish. The laws of nature are immutable. The speed limit of light, if you will, is established by the rules and laws of physics. It's not negotiated. There's no legislation. There isn't a police officer out there with a radar gun and a summons book telling light how to behave. The speed of light is one of those constants that was established by physics, by nature, by God, if you believe in God. So that's irrefutable. In a vacuum, light travels at 186,300-odd miles per hour, per second, rather. Forgive me, per second. It just is. If you go through a different medium, water, glass, whatever, light can slow down. But the maximum speed limit for light, 186,300-plus miles per second, established by the laws of physics. Speed laws on the highway, on the other hand, are frequently violated by motorists. You could put up any speed limit you want, but if you don't enforce the law, people will drive at whatever speed they feel like driving. That's why law enforcement is critical. Laws without law enforcement are meaningless, worthless. And that's one of the games the politicians play. They will tell the constituents, we're going to pass the law to accomplish X, Y, and Z and they intentionally don't fund law enforcement, or they will play other games. It's the magic act. Why is there a magic act? Because very often special interest groups have different priorities than the voters. So the politician is in a quandary. Without money, he or she can't run for office. But if the electorate won't vote for him or her, then they don't win the election either. So they have to go in two competing opposite directions simultaneously to placate the contributors who are really bribers and at the same time create the illusion for the voters that they're listening to the people who have to ultimately vote for them. 
This is kind of like the magician who promises to cut the lady in half, and we all know if he really cuts his beautiful assistant in half, number one, he's going to jail. Number two, if he ever gets out of jail, no one's ever going to work with him again. And number three, perhaps he hoped to have dinner with her. So <laughs> he's got lots of reasons to not hurt her, but create a convincing illusion that he cut her in half to satisfy the audience, not unlike the way that politicians have to create a, a convincing illusion of meeting the demands of the voters while actually meeting the demands of the campaign contributors. The magician uses blue smoke, mirrors, hand motions, all kinds of tools, if you will, in his toolkit. <clears throat> one, of the kit, one of the tools in the kit of politicians is artful use of language, passing laws, and then not enforcing the laws. We're going to secure the border. What does that even mean? And why do we only focus on the southern border? Why is no one talking about the Canadian border? Why is no one talking about the 95,000 miles of coastline, which provides access to people coming to America in boats? And not just at seaports, but in all of that border, if you will, that lies along our shoreline. It would not be difficult, and I'm sure it's happened, for a fishing boat to go out to sea with five or six fishermen on board meet a ship at sea, and come back in the middle of the night with 43 supposed fishermen on board, uh, where did they materialize from? Were they beamed there by the Starship Enterprise? Many years ago, a boat washed up in the Rockaways here in New York City. It was the Golden Venture. It was a, an old scow of a ship being used by the snakeheads, the so-called snakeheads. These are the Chinese human traffickers. The ship ran aground. And suddenly there we were with a whole literally boatload of illegal aliens who came aground because they were hoping to evade detection by the Coast Guard or immigration authorities. So we're so focused on the Mexican border, and it's a catastrophe. Please don't for a heartbeat think I'm minimizing what's going on. And as I've written about and as I've talked about so many times, we do know that the human traffickers in Latin America are working with Hezbollah and other terrorist organizations to flood narcotics and illegal aliens into the United States, both as a means of raising money and as a means of destroying American society by poisoning our people. This includes China. It includes Iran. Uh, it includes the cartels. It also provides an opportunity for sleeper agents to be moved covertly into the United States. And so what you're witnessing with the Biden administration is this human onslaught that occupies the Border Patrol. So while they're busy trying to help the children and rescue people and process the aliens that are overwhelming them, there's lots of getaways. And we keep hearing about the getaways. Well, last night there were 100 getaways. There were 300 what are What are getaways? These are aliens who, while the Border Patrol was otherwise occupied, managed to sneak in without being identified. How big is that problem? Well, I'll tell you what, that problem keeps me awake at night. Because I want to go back to something that I keep referring to, that it just took 19 terrorists on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Think about that. We have hundreds of thousands of getaways. If a fraction of 1% of those getaways are sleeper agents, God help us on the day that they are called into action. That's how serious this threat is. And what is the Biden administration doing about it? Enticing and encouraging more illegal aliens to come here. You have Mayorkas making clear and unequivocal statements that when aliens lie on applications to acquire citizenship, he will take no action against them. This guy's supposed to be the head of Homeland Security. Why? Why would you not go after people who lie about a material fact on an application for U.S. citizenship when we know from the 9-11 Commission that immigration fraud was the key vulnerability that the terrorists, not only on 9-11, but on other situations, exploited? I've testified before numerous congressional hearings. My very first hearing was back on May 20th, 1997 about four and a half years before the attacks of 9-11. That hearing was convened because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993. 
<clears throat> that it was determined by everybody, <clears throat> pardon me, no shocker, <clears throat> pardon me, well, every once in a while Kermit the Frog comes to visit. <laughs> so it was determined that an attack at the CIA in January 93 by an individual from Pakistan by the name of Kansi was enabled to remain in the United States by filing a bogus claim of political asylum. Once here, once he made that application, he could move freely around the United States. He bought into a courier van service. The courier van had authorization to park in the CIA parking lot to deliver packages. In January 93, he showed up in the parking lot, not with packages, but an AK-47, open fire, he killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. That's one of the things we need to understand. Aliens who commit crimes have an escape hatch. They can leave the United States, go back to their home country or some other third country, and evade the long arm of the law, but not in the case of Kansi, given the nature of his crime. Our people tracked him down to Pakistan. The Pakistani intelligence helped. <clears throat> he was brought back to the U.S. The trial was found guilty and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead or heal the wounds of those that he injured. One month later, we had the first bombing at the Trade Center that killed six, injured over a thousand, and it's looked at a half billion, a half billion, five hundred million dollars worth of damage, almost brought the towers down sideways, which could well have resulted in the death of hundreds of thousands of people. Again, immigration fraud was front and center. The head of Homeland Security is now saying that he will take no action to strip an alien of citizenship if they lie or to prosecute them for lying, because the law is very clear. The law says if you lie on that application and we can prove you lied, you go to jail for many years. It's a serious offense that has very serious national security implications. So you've got Kamala Harris running around saying, we're going to get to the root cause. The root cause of the massive illegal immigration problem and immigration crisis overall that now exists is attributable directly, without equivocation, to her and Biden and Mayorkas and this administration. People would not come to the United States if they didn't think by coming here they could get what they wanted, whatever that is. Maybe that's the root cause she's talking about, but they don't all have the same reason for coming. The reason people come illegally, make this real simple, is because they know they cannot come legally. Very simple concept. You come illegally when you know you can't get here legally. Why can't they come legally? I suggest you look up a section of law that's part of the Immigration and Nationality Act, Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182-1182. Many of my articles include a link to this very important section of law because this gets to the heart of the significance of secure borders and effective immigration law enforcement. Contrary to the crap that's being spoon-fed to the American people by journalists who wouldn't know journalism if it jumped up and bit them on the nose, and politicians like Pelosi who would never tell the truth if her life depended on it because perhaps she at this point doesn't even know what the truth is. The point to that section of law has nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about keeping out aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Think COVID. Aliens who are severely mentally ill and sociopathic. Aliens who are criminals. Aliens who are terrorists. Aliens who are spies. Aliens who are human rights violators, human traffickers, drug smugglers, fugitives from justice, aliens who have been previously deported from the United States, aliens who've lied on applications and the lie was discovered having committed immigration fraud, which makes them excludable from the United States, aliens who would likely become a public charge, that is to say, would require public assistance, welfare, that sort of thing, pardon me, and aliens who, if they were, would displace American workers and or drive down the wages of Americans who are similarly employed. That's what's in the law. So when an alien runs the border, evades inspection, they do so because they know that they belong to one or more of those categories. They have a criminal history. They were previously deported. They're on a terror watch list, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, not all terrorists, by the way, are on terror watch lists. We keep hearing about how many 
terrorists have been found. Most terrorists are not on watch lists. That's what sleeper agents are. <clears throat> they're unknown to our system. Either they're young and they've never done anything that's brought attention to them, or they've created a fictitious identity that's bulletproof, and they have new IDs, different passports, so that they can conceal their true identities. Immigration fraud, that's part of it, identity theft. So when you allow millions of people, as we have, to evade the vetting process and then move them into the interior of the United States, you are doing grave, perhaps irreparable damage to public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. Because these folks need to support themselves. Some will simply come to work. They are here as economic refugees, and there's no such thing as an economic refugee, but that gets us back to this public charge business or the fact that they're looking to work and don't have permission to work because the immigration laws were designed to protect wages and jobs for Americans. The Democrat Party used to lead the charge. It was the the Democrats that said, keep out the illegals because you're going to destroy jobs and wages of Americans. Bernie Sanders, back around 2006, stood shoulder to shoulder with the leaders of the AFL-CIO and demanded that anyone who hires illegal aliens be prosecuted because, as he put it, you are destroying jobs and wages to middle-class Americans, and it's got to stop. It's anti-American. Bernie Sanders said that. Bill Clinton said something very similar. Obama at one point said something very similar. Harry Reid got to the floor of the Senate when he was a newly elected senator and thumped the podium and said that we shouldn't have birthright citizenship, and the idea of giving anything to someone who is here illegally is crazy. And then they all flipped to the other side. I believe that the goal is the destruction of the U.S. economy. I believe the goal is to make every American dependent on government so that we can have a one-party government, and that government would be not a free republic but a communist state. When they give you money, they control you. This is about making people dependent on government because they are power hungry. And where are the Republicans? Well, they don't want to do anything to upset the apple cart because their constituents, their special interest groups, are demanding cheap, exploitable labor. So the immigration system has turned into a delivery system that delivers a virtually unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And it's not just the illegals. It's the high-tech visas. I've talked about Bob Goodlatte before. I'll mention him again. He was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee who never met an H-1B visa that he didn't love. Why? Because that's how he made his money as an immigration lawyer. When I had a major argument with him, fool that he is, he blurted out that his son would love to have tens of thousands of brilliant Indian programmers come to America because his son knows lots about computers. Well, I knew nothing about his son, so thank you, Bob Goodlatte, for being a big mouth. That's why I looked up Bobby Goodlatte. Bobby Goodlatte is Bob Goodlatte's son, and he has made a fortune because he got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook importing thousands of Indian programmers. I have nothing against Indian programmers, but American government should be looking out for American citizens, you would think. So this is the perfect storm. You know, it's not just, well, the Democrats want the votes and the Republicans want the labor. It's that the Democrats want to crash the economy, and the Republicans are driven by greed to import lots of cheap labor or high-tech workers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So please understand what the implications are. The implications are that both parties want an open border. That's the reason why President Trump was in the Oval Office. The Republicans had control of both houses. Right? And he couldn't get the money to build the border wall, which, by the way, is not designed to keep people out of the United States. Let's be clear. The border wall is simply designed to funnel everybody and all commerce through ports of entry so that whoever comes in and whatever comes in can be vetted, can be examined, so that we can create a record of entry. The border wall is not designed to block ports of entry. If it was, then I would agree that it's there to stop people from coming in. No, it's just about creating an orderly system where we know who's coming in. Ports of entry, if you want an analogy, because you know I love using analogies, 
Courts of entry are not unlike the gates that you go through to go to a baseball game or a football game. You go through various gates, you buy a ticket, maybe you go through a metal detector, and that way everyone knows that you don't have a weapon, that you belong in that seat, that we don't have too many people in too few seats who do the same thing at airports, who do the same thing at the theater. There's a certain number of seats. You match people up by their tickets, and everything is fine. Nobody traipses across the ballpark field to get to their seat. There's a process so that you don't disturb the game, you don't damage the field, you take your seat, enjoy the game, and everybody's happy. That's the purpose for the border wall. I wish that Trump had been articulate enough to explain it that way. Unfortunately, he didn't. But that's the purpose for the border wall. It's the same thing as the velvet rope at the bank that guides customers to the next available teller. It's the same thing as going to the airport and going through those cattle runs to the next available TSA agent. And the vetting process that TSA does to keep terrorists and weapons off of airplanes is very similar to the vetting process that we conducted ports of entry for the same purpose. So look at the lies. Oh, my God, he wants a border wall, the wall, the wall of hate, the wall of shame, the wall of bigotry. No, the wall of sanity. When someone comes to your home, if they climb through your bedroom window, you call the police because they're expected to go to the front door and ring the bell and say, hi, I'm here. Will you let me in? That's what we're talking about, folks. So we have a situation where America is being inundated with huge numbers of illegal aliens, people whose identities can't be verified. You have members of Congress in both parties that are still talking about comprehensive immigration reform to give these people legal status. Millions of people who snuck in. There's no capacity to interview anybody. There's no capacity to do a field investigation. There is no way of knowing when they came here. We always hear this from the talking heads on TV, and some of them, like, who I had tremendous respect for, like Charles Krauthammer, well, the late Charles Krauthammer perhaps didn't understand the issue, but everyone has an opinion because the cameras are rolling and they're paid good money to have an opinion. Well, if they've been living here for the last seven years and they haven't been arrested, well, sleeper agents don't get arrested. They smile at everybody. And how do you know how long they've been here? No ability to interview them, no ability to show their photograph to neighbors. What is to prevent an alien who comes to America six months from now from filing an application that says that he or she got here four years ago so that they came in time to meet the requirement to qualify for amnesty if God forbid Congress is, is, is um, corrupt enough to pass it. There is absolutely nothing that could be done to weed out the people who lie. So everyone will say, okay, you have to have been here by, I don't know, pick a date, January of 2018. Okay. And everyone will put down on the application they've been here since 2017. It's up to the adjudicator to prove that the person is lying. How do I know? I was an adjudicator for a year. See, when I speak about the issues, it's not because, you know, someone told me something and I I read something somewhere. No, I did the job myself. I was an adjudicator for a year. I was an immigration inspector for four years. I was a special agent with the INS for 26 years, and I was in every squad. Plus, I was assigned to DEA intelligence. Plus, I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So when I speak about the issues, I can tell you what I'm telling you is authoritative based on personal observations and how I did the job for the agency that we're discussing now. So understand you can approve an application in 15 minutes. Not a big deal. You make sure all the paperwork is done, all the boxes are checked, everything is signed, they paid the fee. Take out that approval stamp, whammo, he's approved. Green card, legal status. If you try to deny an application, you need an agent to do an outside investigation, and there are none. We're talking millions of applications. It could take days or longer to deny an application because now you've got to write a formal denial. You have to anticipate that this alien is going to hire a lawyer who's going to go to court and try to get an appeal to overturn your denial. This is a huge process. It is time-consuming. It requires resources that Homeland Security does not have. 
the easiest way to dispose of an application for any immigration benefit, you know, I know a lot of my conservative friends say, get rid of the red tape. Yes, red tape. No more red tape. Let's burn the red tape. Well, it's not red tape. What we're talking about is rubber stamp approve every, every application. That's how you move the applications at warp speed. So you bang away the applications, you approve anything that lands on your desk, and Mayorkas was notorious for ordering his people to approve everything. Get to yes or else. People were demoted, transferred, punished, disciplined if they refused to accept applications and approve them, even when legally there was no justification. Even when the FBI went to Mayorkas, according to not only ABC News, but an Inspector General report, turns around and says, you know what? I don't care that the FBI said that these applications may come from people affiliated with terrorism. I want them approved or else. So against the objections of the FBI and Homeland Security investigations, Mayorkas, when he worked for Obama, approved petitions for visas, which gets us to where we are. It's not just the Mexican border. It's giving citizenship and lawful status to aliens who shouldn't be getting the status. This is not illegal immigration. This is the legal system. Whenever I go on programs, people say, Mike Cutler is an authority on illegal immigration. That's not true. Mike Cutler is an authority on immigration, period. And the legal side is even more dangerous in many ways than the illegal side because we're giving people identity documents that enable them to travel around the world frequently under false identities. We are allowing terrorists to create their own witness protection program aided and abetted by the government of the United States of America. That's what we're talking about. When I started doing TV shortly after 9-11, one of the programs that I became a regular on was Lou Dobbs Tonight when Lou was over at CNN. And I remember... On one of my earliest appearances, Lou Dobbs threw a curve at me. And I was very upset because normally the way it works when you go on television, the producer calls you up and they say, Mike, we're doing a show and we're going to have a discussion about X, Y, or Z. Would you like to come in and weigh in on it? And sometimes they do a pre-interview. A pre-interview actually can be a form of censorship. If the program is legitimate, then they just want to have an idea about what you're going to say so that the host of the program or the anchor on the news program can come up with questions to ask you, knowing where you want to take the conversation. That's how it was with Lou. Nobody ever tried to censor me when he was at CNN. It was straightforward. I could even call them up and say, you know, I'd like to come in tonight. There's breaking news, and I think you need to cover it. And frequently they would say, you know what, we'll send the car, come on down. But in one of my early appearances, and, you know, when you've been doing this on many shows, you could have a bad day. No one looks at you sideways. But if this is your first, second, third time on TV, if you really bomb, the phone's probably never going to ring again. And, you know, I sometimes laugh. I still have the instinct where you'll see a host say to somebody, we have to get you back real soon. And you know that this guy is thinking never in a million years. But they always say that. So you want to make certain that you know what you're talking about, that you, you really nail it. So I remember going to Lou one night to do the show. They told me in my pre-interview, his uh, executive producer gave me the topic. I said, wonderful. I get to the studio. We're sitting there. We're two minutes out. They're running commercials. And Lou turns to me and says, Mike, forget the topic that we talked about. Can you talk about the issue of illegal immigration and health care, especially in the, south of the southwest border? And I was upset because you don't normally throw a curve like that. But I knew I could handle it, but I busted his chops a little bit, only because I was irritated. I said, gee, I don't know. And he's getting agitated, and they're telling us 30 seconds. And I said, yeah, I can cover it. And if you remember Lou Dobbs when he was at CNN, he would get kind of expansive. And I remember it on this particular program more or less what he said. Across the United States, illegal aliens are filling up emergency rooms, frequently causing other people to have to wait on a long line, endangering their safety, endangering their health and their lives. But nowhere is this crisis more visible or apparent than in the southwest of the United States, where emergency rooms are overflowing with illegal aliens. Mike Cutler, what in the world is going on? You know, that, that famous what in the world. 
And I looked Lou in the eye, and I said, you know, Lou, and I coined an expression that was frequently plagiarized. I said to him, think of it this way. Nobody would break into the amusement park if they couldn't get to go on the ride. Here, it's the American taxpayer who's paying for these folks to ride, so why in the world are you surprised? Well, Lou thought it was so funny, he wound up laughing like crazy. They had a break for an unscheduled commercial, and it was pretty funny, but not really funny, because that is the case. People come to the United States if they know they can get away with whatever it is, getting a job, getting health care, committing a crime, fleeing law enforcement, which gets us back to root cause. There's different root causes for different people. And bad guys don't wear a sign or have a flashing light over their head that says bad guy. I remember where we raided a, or did an investigation at a glass factory in Brooklyn. And one guy who was originally from Honduras, um, his answers didn't match. How did you become an American? And he gave me some story, didn't match. And so I went out to the car, got on the two-way radio, called my office. We didn't have cell phones in those days. And I said, could you run this guy's name and date of birth? Well, if he's a naturalized citizen, it should immediately pop up in the system, but it didn't. We wound up arresting him as a suspected illegal alien. And the guy was very agile. He was working the water fountain with handcuffs behind his back. And the owner of the factory said, you've got to be kidding. This guy is my loyal worker. He's been to my house. He slept on my couch in my living room. He locks up for me when I have to leave early. He opens for me. He is a trustworthy, honest guy. I said, okay. <clears throat> we took him into the office. And lo and behold, we found out that this honest guy had been previously deported from the United States after he did time for a murder. He came back illegally, was arrested, was prosecuted, was serving a jail sentence in a federal penitentiary for unlawful reentry after deportation when he escaped from jail. <clears throat> so now, what is his problem? How does he support himself? He supported himself by working in the glass factory. We turned him over to the U.S. Marshals. He faced additional charges for, for escaping from the federal penitentiary. And I called up the owner. I said, you better sit down. And the poor guy was beyond himself. He said, oh, my God, how could I have known? And the answer is you don't. And that's why this nonsense about why they're coming, what the root cause is, each person could be different. And some of the most endearing people, the most ingratiating people could be the most dangerous. That's what makes them so dangerous. Okay? So we have an administration that could care less, that has told employers, you could hire illegal aliens. We don't care. Why don't you care? You're a Democrat, supposedly. The Democrat Party used to be the party of blue-collar workers. You are allowing Americans to be displaced by foreign workers illegally. It's destroying wages. It's leading to homelessness. It's causing families, American families, to be split up. Think about that. That's what this party is now about. And full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These people are not Democrats. They may call themselves Democrats, but as far as I'm concerned, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. The old Democrat Party would never abide by this level of betrayal. So I, I just want you to consider all of that. And now we have sanctuary cities that refuse to work in coordination with immigration law enforcement. I used to work very closely with the New York City Police Department. We used to raid houses of prostitution. We used to raid illegal gambling houses. Why? Because very often illegal aliens would be the clientele. The women working in the brothels might themselves be illegal aliens, and if they weren't, their clients very often were. They've come to America. They left behind their wives and their girlfriends. It's Friday night. It's Saturday night. Um, for lack of a better term, they had the urge to merge. So what do they do? They go to a brothel. And it's not just from one country or another. Human nature is human nature. It's universal. We all bleed red when we are cut. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity, every nationality has the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not about Latinos. It's not about brown skin. I've arrested criminals. I, I arrested a guy wanted for murder from Israel, you know, a, a white guy, a Jewish guy. I arrested a suspected IRA terrorist, an Irishman, took a gun off him. We prosecuted him for the firearm. 
I've arrested Italian mobsters. I've arrested Asian organized crime figures and Jamaican drug posse members because human nature is universal. I don't care where you're from. Every race, religion, ethnicity, nationality has the good, the bad, and the ugly. Statement of fact. This isn't about race, but this is the nonsense that the globalists and the people that want to destroy the middle class keep spewing, and people like the big lie fall for this garbage. Just like the border wall is a wall of hate. No, it's not. It's not designed to keep people out. Just make certain that we know who we're letting in. That's wrong? Really? I'd like to see what happens if someone shows up at Nancy's house and sneaks in how fast she calls the cops or Chuck or any of these characters, AOC, okay? What do you think would happen if someone snuck in through their bedroom window at 3 in the morning? You think they would say, oh, they're an uninvited guest? Or they'd say, this is a burglar who should be arrested and charged with breaking and entering. Hypocrisy is boundless, limitless. So, uh, you know, I, I hope we've clarified some of this. But, you know, there was a terrible shooting in Illinois. I started out talking about it. And one of the questions I've raised, and I see where Fox News, a couple of their correspondents, are now raising the issue. Perhaps they've been reading my articles as well they should. Wink, wink. But the point I raise is with all the talk about guns, I'd love to know how many people who've pulled the trigger in these incidents have illegal narcotics, illegal drugs flowing through their veins. If you look at this piece of garbage that pulled off the shooting, um, this guy does not look like he's, you know, the, 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 the quintessential decent guy. So I'd love to know what his toxicology report looks like. We do that when there's a car accident or an airplane crash. The first thing the investigators do is say, okay, were you drunk? Were there drugs in your system? Why does no one talk about the drugs that may be flowing through the systems of people who repeatedly pull the trigger and, and kill and maim lots of innocent people? You don't think that that's a possibility, that there's an, a nexus there? How many of the people who pull the trigger are here illegally? Which brings me to an article that I've included the links in my page today for my program. The Washington Times reported, um, I'm sorry, forgive me, CBS reported, tip from Hero Citizen thwarted July 4th mass shooting in Virginia's capital, police say. Now, what's interesting is that the chief of police said that to his knowledge, these two guys were unknown to the authorities. Really? Well, they didn't indicate where they were from, although I was on a radio show this morning, Bobby Gunther Walsh over at WAEB, and I believe it was Bobby who told me this morning that supposedly these guys were from Guatemala, the two of them. Both were here illegally. At least one had been previously deported from the United States. So stop and think about it. Not known to the authorities? If we deported him, he was known to the authorities. But the problem is, apparently... They did not go to immigration. They don't work with them. If they did, perhaps this guy would be off the street, except, of course, Biden doesn't deport anybody. In fact, there's another story about a policy change at DHS that dovetails perfectly with all this insanity. If the illegal alien who was previously deported was apprehended and prosecuted because reentry after deportation is a felony, he wouldn't have been out there able to pull off a mass shooting. And in fact, I've mentioned it before, forgive me, I don't want to sound like I'm crowing, but I worked with Senator Al D'Amato back in the early 80s to change the penalty for reentry after deportation by aliens who have criminal histories. Up until then, the penalty was two years in jail if you were deported and came back. Very few aliens were prosecuted because the prosecutors felt that with such a short jail sentence, it wasn't worth the effort. And they said, you know, two years is okay for a guy with no criminal history. You're a dishwasher, a farmhand, factory worker, fine. Two years works for me. But if you're a drug dealer, if you're a child molester, if you're a rapist, if you're a bank robber, arsonist, um, if you've shot and killed people, when you get out of jail and we deport you, you should be looking at 20 years in jail. That became the law of the land. In fact, under the Trump administration, it was the most frequently prosecuted felony, reentry after deportation. And to give full credit, number one, about 30 of my colleagues went with me 
or went and met with Senator D'Amato's staff because he asked for corroboration. And a gentleman by the name of Walter Connery, who was the head of investigations for the INS in New York City, retired New York City police deputy inspector for the NYPD. He was involved with the NAP Commission, weeding out corruption, real good guy, was hired by the INS upon his retirement from the NYPD to head up the Office of Professional Responsibility, if you will, internal affairs for the INS in Washington, and quickly ran afoul of some of our bosses who didn't want to be told what to do. Great agency. you got to love it. So they gave him a choice, resign or go to New York. They said, you're from New York. He lived out on Long Island. Go to New York, and you can head up the investigations branch. So he did. And Walter had come to the same conclusion. And not only was he a high-ranking member of the NYPD deputy inspector, but he was also an attorney. So he provided Al D'Amato with a legislative initiative to accomplish the very same thing, make reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year felony, except he didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what he was doing. And one day we compared notes, and we realized that shortly after I had convinced D'Amato of the need for a change in the law, along comes Walter Connery, and convinces DeMotta that this is the way to do it because he, he wrote up an entire legislative initiative, and it was passed. And I got to make the first arrest in New York of a Dominican drug dealer who had been previously a resident of the United States, had a green card, was on the path to citizenship, spoke fluent English, but got involved with drugs, got involved with crimes involving violence and firearms. He was ordered deported, came back, he was in jail, on a drug charge, state jail, upstate New York, I picked him up, and the guy was kind of, you know, uh, arrogant, in my face, and he said, yeah, I'm going back to the Dominican Republic where I can hang out with some of my favorite girls. I said, you think so? I said, there's a detour in your future. He was sentenced to serve an additional five years in a federal prison for unlawful reentry. So if you get deported and you come back, this is serious. This is serious. So you have a guy who was previously deported, and he comes back to the United States. The other person who was with him was also apparently an illegal alien. And when someone overheard a phone conversation where they talked about shooting up a a Virginia event on the 4th of July, that person courageously went to the police and reported it, and they acted appropriately, thankfully. And they charged both men, and again, the, the media got it wrong, of non-citizen in possession of a firearm. We now call you know, aliens non-citizens. The name game is straight out of George Orwell. The term alien simply means any person not a citizen or national of the United States. There's no insult. It's not a pejorative. It's a statement of fact. But again, con artists have to obfuscate the truth by obfuscating the language. And that's the game they play right out of the pages of Orwell. If you haven't read 1984, I urge you to get a copy of it and read it. You will understand exactly what these duplicitous bums who purport to represent our best interests are all about and the tactics that they use. The law, and you can look this one up, I've made numerous arrests. 18 United States Code, Title 18 United States Code, Section 922, parenthesis G, parenthesis 5 that deems an illegal alien in possession of a firearm or even ammunition that has been involved in interstate commerce, because that's how the Fed get into it, across the state line since manufacture. You have an alien who's here illegally who has a firearm that crossed the state line or ammunition that crossed the state line, they're looking at 10 years in jail. So if you're concerned about gun violence, I don't think they are. I think it's a big fat lie. It's about getting guns off the street, not criminals off the street, right? When, when drunk drivers crash their cars, no one says get the cars off the road. They say get the drunks off the road, right or wrong. But we're going to get the guns off the street. Why? Because guns are being used to kill. Well, cars are being used to kill also when it's in the hands of the wrong person. And we've seen motor vehicles being used as weapons by terrorists around the world. But I've yet to see a politician say, let's get the cars off the street but we're going to get the guns off the street to make us all safer. Meanwhile, people who use guns to commit robberies walk in New York City. It used to be you had a gun and you didn't have a permit, you were going to jail for a minimum of two years. Case closed, full stop, nothing to discuss. That's why New York was the safest big city. Along comes Alvin Bratt. Boy, is that an appropriate name for this guy. Bratt. 
Um, and now we have bail reform. So if you commit a crime, we're going to let you go without bail. Unless you're law-abiding and you're defending yourself against the thug, then we're going to put you in jail and we're going to prosecute you to the full extent of the law. And I'll tell you about the most recent example of that outrage momentarily. Stay tuned. So you have two illegal aliens in possession of firearms, and that was the charge that was brought against them so that they could be taken into custody and kept from pulling off this terrible crime that they were planning. In order to put that case together, you have to have an immigration agent on board who can certify that this alien in question is here illegally. That is an immigration case. I know I've been the agent on a whole bunch of those. And you normally work with ATF because they have to do a gun trace to find out where the gun came from, to demonstrate that the gun was manufactured or traveled across state lines or came into the country from outside the country. So basically, the two agencies that have to do the case are immigration and ATF, alcohol, tobacco, firearms. If the politicians were really concerned about gun violence, they would want immigration agents out there working on these cases with the cops I don't know of any other jurisdiction other than under federal law that somebody wielding an illegal gun is looking at 10 years in jail. You see, that's how you protect people from gun violence, if you're serious, but they're not serious. It's not about making us safe. It's about getting guns off the street. There's no other conclusion that I could come to. They don't say we're going to get cars off the street. They don't, they don't do it for anything else. But we're going to get the guns because the guns are doing the killing. Cars kill also. We had an, a terror attack on the west side of New York. No one ever said, let's get the trucks off the street. If the guy had used the gun, then they would have immediately been screaming, see that? He had a gun. No, see that? He had a truck. Oh, we're not going to talk about that. This is madness. And how people don't see through the lies and the nonsense is beyond me. I would love someone to refute the point that I'm making or take a position that opposes what I'm saying to you. If you're serious about gun violence, then let's look at the the nexus between narcotics and violence. Let's look at the nexus between video games that are basically simulators to teach people how to carry out mass casualty events. They are. You go room to room blazing away with a machine gun, and we call that entertainment. You go to the movies and bodies are flying through the air. Body parts are flying through the air. Machine guns are chattering. Handguns are booming. And you wonder why kids somehow think that violence is the solution to disagreements. If you want to talk about a product endorsement, look at these actors uh, who go out there and make these movies that glamorize violence. And they scream, oh, my God, get the guns, get the guns. Why are you wielding guns in the movies? People go out and buy craziest things endorsed by celebrities who know nothing about anything. If Mario Andretti advertised motor oil or Mario Andretti advertised tires, I'd be inclined to take that seriously because Mario Andretti, probably the winningest, most accomplished race car driver in history, in the history of motorsports. So you'd say, well, he must know about tires and motor oil, and it's reasonable. How many people go out and buy shaving cream because, you know, the second baseman said, this is the shaving cream I use. What does this guy know about shaving cream or skin? He knows how to catch a ball. He knows how to run the bases. What does he know about shaving cream? Product endorsements sell. So you have celebrities, movie stars making millions of dollars doing what? blowing everybody away who comes into their line of fire. Boom, 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 boom. And then three days later, they're out there pounding the podium saying, we've got to get guns off the street. That movie is an endorsement of violence and guns. It's product placement, right? Hypocrisy, stupidity. How dumb do we have to be to not see through this garbage? Movies that emphasize violence encourage children to be violent, and it desensitizes them to the impact of violence. Wouldn't it be nice to have movies where 
Kids got to see people working out their differences in peaceful, productive ways. They used to make movies like that. They used to act as role models for society. Today, sociopaths are the role models for society. And kids are being twisted like pretzels over whether or not they're supposed to use a urinal or not. I mean, understand the stresses, the dysfunction. There was a word, and I, and I always pay attention to words. You know, my background on the debating team, um, my, my buddies at work used to say I was the wordsmith. I want you to think back not so long ago, maybe two or three years ago, a word started to pop up in discussions about industry and all kinds of stuff. And what do they talk about? How this new company was disrupting the industry. How this product was disruptive. And I thought, that's not good. When I was in school, if any of my classmates were accused of being disruptive, their parents got a phone call that did not please them. Johnny was disruptive today. I don't think any kid who was disruptive got pizza and a movie over the weekend. Disruptive was a negative. Suddenly, what are we hearing? Disruptive is wonderful. Really? Well, look how disrupted we are now. No gas. And by the way, there's an interesting story about how this administration is intentionally depleting our oil reserves. And most of the oil is not going here so we could lower the price. But according to the reports, it's going to Asia, it's going to Europe, making us more vulnerable. Every decision being made by this administration makes us less secure and more vulnerable. I defy anyone to find an example of the opposite happening. And then we get to the story that I promised you we would talk about. Um, and and what, what is the story? Well, the New York Post reported, New York City bodega worker, and a bodega, for those of you not used to New York ease, a bodega is kind of like a convenience store in the Latino neighborhood. They sell everything from groceries to razor blades to, to laundry detergents, paper towels. It's the kind of place you could run into and, and just pick up odds and ends that you might need, similar to 7-Eleven or some other such store. But it's run by people in the community, and, they, and the term they use is bodega. So here's the headline. New York City bodega worker Jose Alba freed on murder rap after bail is lowered in self-defense case. Jose Alba is about 61 years old. His son owns the store, and it was captured on video. A woman comes into the store and orders a bag of potato chips or some sort of chips and throws down a, a social welfare card to pay for the groceries because people on welfare are given credit cards so they can purchase their, their food. Turns out that the card was empty. It was depleted. There was no money. The guy behind the register, Jose Alba, said to her, I'm sorry, I can't give you what you want because there's no money on your card. You have to pay for this. So she gets incensed, starts screaming at him and threatening to get her boyfriend involved. The boyfriend comes in. The boyfriend is, you know, half this guy's age and twice his size. He's huge. And it turns out he has a long rap sheet. And the guy grabs the 61-year-old man and starts beating on him, starts trying to drag him out of the store, where at this point the poor guy figured, this guy's going to kill me. I mean, what other conclusion could he come to? So he grabs a knife that he had behind the counter and repeatedly stabs the assailant, mortally wounding him. As this is going on, the woman who started this fracas pulls a knife out of her pocketbook and starts stabbing the shopkeeper. Can you imagine this melee? Shopkeepers bleeding from everywhere. He stabs a guy who's trying to beat him up, maybe kill him. He was convinced he was about to die. Now guess who gets arrested? The woman with the knife, they let her just go on her merry way. Have a nice day, lady. Yes, you stabbed him, but you're entitled to because your boyfriend, the crook, your boyfriend, the thug, who is trying to kill this poor shopkeeper, well, you were defending him. Nothing wrong with that. But the shopkeeper didn't just simply give them whatever they wanted? You mean this guy came in and they didn't have money and that meant they couldn't take what they wanted? So 
Mr. Brett, the attorney, the uh, um, district attorney from Manhattan, set bail at $250,000, and this guy spent a week at Rikers Island. He is now facing a 20-year sentence for murder in the second degree for defending himself. The mayor is outraged, and I'm no big fan of the mayor, but he was a police captain, and he said, I watched the video. The guy was defending himself. Under the law, you're entitled to defend yourself. <clears throat> the judge lowered the bail because he thought it was bizarre that this guy's being charged with murder for defending himself. But nevertheless, he had to surrender his Dominican passport. He's here as an immigrant. He was supposed to apparently go back to the Dominican Republic to be with family. He had to cancel the trip. He's not allowed to leave New York City. And according to Fox News, I don't know if it's accurate, but people on GoFundMe wanted to put money together so he could hire a defense lawyer. And GoFundMe said, no. We're not going to help you. You stabbed somebody. So the guy that defended himself, thinking he was about to die at the hands of a thug with a rap sheet a mile long, is now facing 20 years in jail and a criminal trial. This is the twilight zone. This is absolutely the twilight zone. When somebody who's defending himself against what he believes is an immediate threat to his life is charged with murder, you know something is terribly wrong. Something is off the rails wrong. And that's exactly where we are right now. We're in a situation where illegal drugs are the subject of posters on the subway trains instructing the riders as to how to use heroin, crack, and other illegal dangerous drugs safely. Okay. They want to get the guns off the street, but not the criminals who wield the guns. How much worse does it have to get? How much worse can it get? Now, I used to say that things can't get worse, but I remember something that my dad told me when I was a young boy. He said, Mike, nothing is so good that it couldn't be better or be so bad that it couldn't get worse. I fear it's going to get worse. I really do. I don't know how. I didn't think that these clowns, had the capability of thinking up something that could make things worse. But somehow, some way, I'm almost confident they will. At what point does it become clear that these politicians don't give a rat's tail about the interests of America or Americans? At some point, this has to stop because this is not sustainable. The survival of America, along with the survival of its own citizens, is very much on the line. Criminals need to be punished to deter their activities. Nobody says to a child, if you fail to do your homework and if you flunk the next test, I'm going to take you to the movies and buy you an ice cream sundae. It doesn't work that way. But in this country now, violations of immigration law used to be not only tolerated but rewarded, and it morphed, and I've written about that. It went from immigration, which was the trial balloon for the entire criminal justice system, and we now have lawyers being turned out by Yale and other law schools that are being taught. And I've written about this for Front Page Magazine as well. They're being told, we'll give you a free law education, but we expect you to be agents for change. Agents for change. Boy, oh, boy. Someone once said to me, you know, President Obama promises us change. What do you think? I said, don't be so ca- be careful about that. If you were in a life raft, complaining that you were seasick and cold and the sharks were gathering and the guy next to you says, I could give you change, and you say, boy, I'll take that, and the guy grabs you and throws you into the shark-infested waters, he certainly would have delivered on change, but I don't think it's the change that you would have wanted. I thank you so much for joining me. I hope you will share this program with as many of your friends as possible. This is the season when we all get together. Let's have those conversations with our neighbors, not fights, not, you know, the cuffs. Let's sit down because the facts are definitely stubborn things, and democracy is not a spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, please check out my articles, share the links for my articles and the link for this podcast with as many of your friends as you can and be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Be well.